Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all um, this morning. Um, let me open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of coming to your word. We pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive the message you have for us this morning. We also pray that you help us to put your message into practice and to share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know if you remember this, seeing this picture before. It is a picture of the rescue of 33 Chilean miners who were trapped inside a mine in 2010 for 69 days. They were about half a mile underground. The rescue operation was complicated, especially the drilling, and there was no certainty they would be found alive. In the rescue, both government and private sector worked hand in hand, and many organizations, including NASA, provided assistance. In the end, the miners were rescued using the capsule you see at the left of that slide. Even the president appeared hugging one of the miners. The capsule was subsequently displayed at various museums in a special exhibition titled Against All Odds. Expressing distress, the distress felt before being rescued, one of the miners said, and I'm quoting, I thought I was never going to see my wife again. Another miner told how he turned to prayer. So we began to pray to God in an incredible way. Yet another miner thanked the rescuers. Thank you for believing we were alive. <clears throat> we are not important people. We are common people. Well, similar to the miners' experience, in chapter 2, we hear firsthand from Jonah about the distress he went through before being rescued from God, about how he turned to God in prayer in time of distress, and about how he praised God after the rescue. Now, I say the experiences were similar, but not identical, because Jonah's rescue was way more miraculous than that of the miners because it was a rescue where no man and no government could take the credit. A rescue where the sole hero is God. Now, before we delve into the detail of the passage, it may be worth noting that chapter 2 is a prayer to God. It's Jonah's quiet time with God. Let's look at, first, at the first two verses of the chapter, which contained the introduction to the, to the chapter. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. It is amazing how much we are told in these introductory verses. Just in the first verse, we are told, <clears throat> when Jonah prayed, to whom he prayed, and from where he prayed. And then in the second verse, we are told what his prayer was about. 
Let's take a look at the four W's of Jonah's prayer, which, has, which is how I titled the introduction in the handout. <clears throat> the words, then Jonah prayed, tell us about the when of Jonah's prayer. They tell us his prayer happened after the events of chapter 1, that is, after God's rescue. Now, as we shall see later, Jonah also prayed before being rescued. But the prayer of chapter 2 is prayed after the rescue. The words from the belly of the fish tell us about the where of Jonah's prayer. Sometimes we find excuses to speak to God. We may say, here is a bit too cold, or this bus is too crowded. I need a better setting. Now, I've never been inside a fish, but I bet it wouldn't be a comfortable place to be. It would be dark, cold, and not steady. Yet, these circumstances didn't prevent Jonah from praying. The words, to the Lord his God, tell us to whom Jonah prayed. As we shall see, Jonah realizes that God is the one in control. He is the one who has delivered him from death, and therefore the one who deserves all the glory. Finally, we get to our last W, the what of Jonah's prayer. So what was the content of Jonah's prayer? Let me give you the headline. Jonah prayed a psalm of praise. Sandwiched in between the prose of chapter 1 and chapters 3 and 4, chapter 2 contains a psalm, a song, a poem. We were given a hint that this is a psalm of praise when we read verse 2. Let's look at it again together. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. The psalm doesn't say I called out to you, but you ignored me. Or the Mediterranean Sea was too noisy, so you didn't hear my voice. No, here Jonah is actively thanking God for answering his prayers. Now, Jonah's song follows the structure of a thanksgiving psalm, the typical structure of which is a description of past crisis, an appeal to God for help, a reference to the rescue God provided, and a praise or testimonial of what God has done. In our series of on Psalms of Lament, we look at the acronym CLAP to help us remember the structure of a Psalm of Lament. Cry out to, Lord, to the Lord, lament, ask, and praise. CLAP. Now, this is not a competition on the most creative acronym, but let me give you an acronym for a Psalm of Praise. CARP. C for crisis, A, appeal to God, R, rescue, P, praise. And to help you remember, carp is, by the way, a type of fish. Now, it happens that uh, Jonah's psalm was highly appropriate to his circumstances. 
He was literally drowning. But the psalm is not only suitable to Jonah's rescue, it is suitable to any rescue. Anyone delivered from any sort of danger, illness, accident, addiction, family crisis, may pray a similar prayer. Anyone whose prayer has been answered by God can use this psalm as a framework to praise God. But more importantly, as we shall see, this psalm is not only about thanking God for solving worldly problems. It prefigures a much more transcendent rescue, a rescue from a spiritual death sentence caused by our sinful nature and from which only the Lord Jesus can save us. Just a final introductory comment. The prayer of chapter 2 gives us an insight on the reversal in Jonah's story. As we shall see in chapter 3, Jonah's attitude towards God changes. He goes from fleeing God to following God's command. In chapter 3, we will see Jonah goes to Nineveh. So we may wonder, well, how did that happen? Well, this prayer helps us understand um, Jonah's change of heart. It is a link between the rebellious Jonah of chapter 1 and the more compliant Jonah of chapter 3. Now, I say to you that Jonah, this psalm, is a psalm of praise. We just read verse 2, where Jonah sums up his praise. But in the remainder of the psalm, Jonah goes on to explain why he is praising God. Indeed, verse 3 starts with the word for. I'm praising you, God, for, that is, because, and then he goes on to explain the reason. Actually, he gives us his testimony. Um, so the invitation is to look at the psalm together using the CARB acronym. An overwhelming crisis. Jonah probably thought God wanted him dead, and that is why he tells the sailors to throw him into the sea. Let's not forget that Jonah was running away from God's presence. Come with me to chapter 1, verse 3. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And not only he was escaping horizontally, he was escaping vertically. And this latter form of escaping, going into the water, guaranteed a fatal result. Now, if you have been escaping from God, this is a message, message for you. In the water, Jonah was obviously in distress. It was a life or death situation. How do we know that? Well, because that's what verses 3 to 6 tell us. Now, before you read them, if I was in Jonas's shoes, I would probably recount the facts in a very different manner. I would probably write, I was in distress, and I said, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, me ahogo. That's drowning in Spanish. But, Using beautiful poetic language, Jonah takes us in a journey to the underworld. In verse 3, he says, And the flood surrounded me. 
all your waves and your billows pass over me, probably to refer to the turbulent experience of Im immediately after being thrown into the water. But he continues to go down. In verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. So as he keeps going down, he's given us a picture of suffocation, getting trapped in seaweed, reaching rock bottom, anticipating an inevitable death. And he keeps going down. In verse 6, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Here, Jonah expresses the finality of death, a one-way street from where there is no escape, the point of no return. Unlike the Chilean miners, Jonah's situation was not against all odds. He had zero odds, zero chance of surviving. He was as good as dead. By the way, Psalms tend to express turmoil or trials by way of imagery of drowning in the sea. See, for example, Psalm 88, verse 7, that says, Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Or Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2, which say, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. And, when, and then the psalm goes on to... Um, use similar imagery. Now, Jonah was literally drowning in deep water, but I wonder how many of us have been drowning too at some point in our lives. Maybe not drowning literally, but drowning in despair. Maybe not trapped in seaweed, but trapped in an addiction. Maybe not suffocated by water, but suffocated by death. Maybe not sinking at the bottom of the sea, but reaching rock bottom because of a depression. Now, how do we face those critical moments? Well, let's see what Jonah did. Let's move to our next heading. In verse 4, Jonah says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Being driven away from God's sight is a picture of being separated from God as a result of death. In the land of the dead, no more worship or praise is possible because death ends that opportunity. That's it. I am done. It's over for me, said Jonah. But as his faith was being tested, Jonah immediately corrects himself, reproving his own distrust. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Someone once told me that the words but and yet delete anything you have said previously. Dinner was delicious, yet it needed a little bit more salt. The yet deletes or erases the previous statement. After all, that dinner wasn't that delicious. In his distress, Jonah thought he was being separated from God forever. 
But in that distress, he pushes the doubt away and immediately turns to God. A reminder that faith is not typically tried and tested when things are going well. It is in the time of crisis and tribulation that faith is tested. But we are told more about Jonah's appeal in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. In the face of death, Jonah remembered the Lord, just as the prodigal son who came to himself and reflected about his father when he was at a low point, so Jonah also thought of God at a point of extreme crisis. Then he prayed, and his prayer came to be heard by God. Now, we are not told the content of that prayer, but this prayer was a great reversal. In fact, praying to God in such a critical moment proved key to what followed. A demonstration of the importance of prayer, of how coming to God in prayer is a key step to salvation. And as we shall see in the next heading, um, God is there, merciful and ready to lend us a hand. We just need to take that first step and come to him. Now in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Paul reminds us of this when he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. That takes us to the next, the next slide, an amazing rescue. Now justice demanded Jonas's death for many things, including complaining, he was a big complainer, rebellion to God, and desertion. And his death was a sure thing. But Jonah is saved by God's mercy and grace. Mercy because it shows God's goodness towards a Jonah who was in misery and distress. And grace because it shows God's goodness towards a Jonah who deserved only punishment. Now, note that throughout the whole saga, and not just at the point of the final rescue, God is in control. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And today, we learned that God spoke to the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. And the fish did as God instructed. But there is more. Come with me to Jonah chapter 1, verse 15. It says, they, that is the sailors, picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. But did you see, Jonah is able to spot that God was orchestrating the whole thing? Come with me now to chapter 2, verse 3. It says, for you that is you, God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. It was God, the one who was behind these events all along. Yes, the sailors casted lots, and they threw Jonah overboard. But the scripture is revealing that God was bringing about his plan 
through creatures of his own creation, including the willing choices of human beings. It was, after all, an amazing rescue. Now, don't treat me as a nerd for what I'm going to say, but from Jonah's rescue, we could derive a theorem. Let's call it Jonah's theorem. And the theorem is simple. The greater the intensity of the peril, the more magnificent the salvation is. There is a kind of proportional uh, expansion through either um, line. But let me give you an example. Say I was swimming in a pool, which is only one and a half meters deep, and I started drowning. And there were three lifeguards, all of whom jumped to save me. If I got rescued, we will say the magnitude of the salvation was okay. But not truly great, because the intensity of the peril wasn't that big. So we will put it at the low end. Now, say I was one of those trapped Chilean miners with the whole country and even NASA searching for me. If I got rescued, we will say the magnitude of the salvation was remarkable because the intensity of the peril was also significant. Now, say I was Jonah facing a sure death and there is nobody at the bottom of the sea to save me. If I got rescued, we will say the magnitude of that salvation is amazing because I was as good as dead. And the good news is that Jonah's rescue prefigures a much more amazing rescue. A rescue not from the bottom of the sea, but a rescue from eternal death to eternal life through Jesus' work on the cross. A rescue which God makes available to whoever repents and believes in his son, Jesus. Literally, a rescue of the charts. Well, I don't have that slide there, but it would go at eternum. We wouldn't be able to plug Jesus' rescue on that chart. Let's move to our final heading, an offering of praise. Now, Jonah acknowledges the rescue and gives all the credit to God. We see this, is in the last, see this in the last part of verse 6, which says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah knows the rescue comes from God, and so he rightfully gives God all the glory. In doing so, Jonah draws the contrast between God and idols. Verse 8 says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of a steadfast love. When I was little, my dad took me to see a circus. At the time, there, were, there was no ticket master or anything like that to reserve tickets. So my dad took the chance and he said, let's go, we will get the tickets at the door. When we got there, a guy who was a reseller came to him and offered him some tickets, which my dad bought. Then we went to the door and it happened that the tickets were forged. My dad went back to try to find the reseller, but he was nowhere to be found. Not only the money was lost, we also missed the show. 
Well, the moral of that story is that don't waste your time buying forged tickets. That's false economics. You will lose the money and miss the show. Go with the original seller in the first place. Well, the same applies to idols. By putting your trust in idols, you're wasting precious time and you are cutting yourself off from God's aid. You saw God was ready and able to help Jonah when he came to him. Why would you compromise your eternal destiny by not coming to him too? He is the true savior. Now, let's think. What are the possible idols out there today? Maybe money, power, social standing, or maybe Buddha, New Age, Reiki. But this is what God tells us about them. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Let's put it in one line. Let's listen to Jonah. Let's listen to God. And in verse 9, Jonah draws the contrast. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Two things here. First, Jonah makes a commitment to God. We are not told what he pledged. Possibly, possibly going to Nineveh. We, we don't know. But also note that this is a response to the rescue. He is not making a pledge to earn his salvation. His pledge, his sacrifice, is a response to the initial salvation. Second, he gives God all the credit. Based on first-hand experience, he knew very well he couldn't save himself. That is why he closes his prayer with such an unequivocal statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, salvation is God's business, and he has the monopoly of it. Now, what about us? How should we respond? Well, if you're a Christian listening this morning, Jonah tells us that one way to praise God is by giving him thanks for the rescue he provides through the Lord Jesus. We can do so in our daily prayers. But there is more Jonah went to Nineveh. Now, we don't necessarily need to go that far. But how about giving our testimony to a friend or a colleague at work? Or how about sharing the word with a relative or a neighbor? And if you are not yet a Christian, well, you just saw Jonah was as good as dead. Yet he turned to God, and God saved him. Like Jonah, we all have a death sentence passed against us. But the good news is that such death sentence can be replaced with eternal life if we turn to Jesus and trust on the work he did on the cross. He is ready to receive us because he is in the business of saving sinners like us. Thankfully, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for the message in the book of Jonah. Thank you that you provide us with a rescue way more magnificent than that of Jonah's through Jesus' work on the cross. Please don't let us hesitate to come to you in prayer in times of distress and always. Please help us to put at bay those idols that may be lurking in our lives. Help us praise you and share with others the news that salvation only belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.